Previous sanction regimes, by and large, have been cutting off people who are already quite on the fringes of the Western financial system. The Russian individuals that we've sanctioned, the Russian government, is fully integrated. You know, these are people that own football clubs, who own houses, that send their kids to private schools in the UK. This is completely different ballpark of sanctions. Welcome to The Laundry, the podcast connecting AML, compliance and financial crime to the real world. And we are here live on stage from Shortage Studios in London. I'm your host, Marit, CEO of Strice, and in this episode, we will be looking at the evolving landscape of sanctions in 2024. Roses are red, violets are blue, sanctions are working, or is that statement untrue? With global tensions rising the last couple of years, sanctions have moved from the subjects of industry reports to the topic of presidents, prime ministers, and leaders across the world. In today's episode, we will discuss, are sanctions working as effectively as hoped? Are we combating challenges like sanctions fatigue and do we need to rip out the rulebook and start all over? To dive into this topic, I'm joined here by Chloe Sina, partner at Morrison Forrester's National Security Practice, Emile Dahl, consultant and sanctions lead at Fintrail. <laughs> Last but not least, we have Simon Locke, reporter at the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. Welcome to The Laundry. Cool. Emil, let's start with you. What should the audience know about you and Fintrail? So Fintrail is a financial crime and sanctions consultancy. Um, we help clients of all sizes manage financial crime risk. Previous to Fintrail, I worked in the private sector during Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And prior to that, I was at the Center for Financial Crime and Security Studies at RUSI, uh, the defense and security think tank. Chloe, what can you tell us about you and your background and Morrison Forrester? So I like to think of myself as a first generation sanctions lawyer. Um, 18 years ago, I remember my pupil master saying, carve yourself a niche. And a number of cases like Bank Malat have followed me from job to job. And I've leapt from crisis to crisis. I've been a foreign office legal advisor at the design stage of sanctions. I've worked on enforcement. I've been working for two global financial institutions under a deferred prosecution agreement and a cease and desist order. And now I find myself in the national security practice at Morrison Forster, which is spearleaded by the former director of OFAC, John Smith. And I'm out there with a huge amount of experience experience having pretty much advised on every sanctions regime and pretty much most sectors and most products. And Simon, Hi. thanks for being here. What can you tell us about you and the Bureau of Investigative Journalism? Hard act to follow. Um, <laughs> uh, I, um, I work at the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. We are the uh, largest um, not-for-profit uh, newsroom in the UK. I particularly focus on the, uh, our team is the enablers. Um, so we're looking at those who help facilitate corruption, particularly looking at illicit financial flows and yeah, transnational corruption. Thanks for that. Let's start by looking at the, how the sanction landscape looks today. So we'll start off with a quick fire round for the whole panel. What is the one word you would use to describe the state of sanctions in 2024? Emil, go. Um, a sense of consolidation, I think, after a few years of chaos, maybe. 
Chloe? Uncertain. It's going to go unprecedented. Why did you choose that word, uh, Chloe? Well, firstly, you asked for one word. (laughs) I'm not going to make the mistake that Emil did. It's about geopolitical uncertainty. We have no idea what's on the horizon. We've got a couple of elections uh, coming up. There could be a change in the US administration. There could be further sanctions across the Middle East. We're seeing a lot of problems with potentially China. I'm not going to go further than that. But I think geopolitical uncertainty is why I chose that word. So in 1998, a paper titled Economic Sanctions, Too Much of a Bad Thing came out and the author Richard Haas wrote, sanctions are blunt instruments that often produce unintended and undesirable consequences. Emil, what do you think about that statement? Are sanctions a blunt tool? Is it a fair summary? Yes, in many ways, they're a very blunt tool. If you look at it from a very practical perspective, if you as an individual person, if you're sanctioned, that's the end of your financial life in that country. Uh, You cannot use your bank uh, card. You cannot go down to Pret and buy a coffee. For a country, it can be a blunt tool. And we've seen that particularly Back in sort of the 90s, um, sanctions against Iraq and Haiti, which led to sort of huge humanitarian disasters because we were deploying sanctions in a comprehensive matter. So what I think governments are trying to do now is deploy sanctions in a smarter way, whereby we focus on the specific industry. So if we want to stop a government doing a certain thing, we focus on the specific pain points of that government. It is still a blunt tool, however, because there's always going to be unintended consequences. Um, Humanitarian carve-outs, medicines exceptions, they exist, but they're not used enough, which means that sanctions become this blunt tool, which often carries on further effects than than perhaps the, the intended target. I don't like the word blunt, though, because it's blunt by definition in the sense that well, you deploy sanctions and something has to stop. That's literally what sanctions mean. So, I, I, yes, I, I guess they are blunt, but... Chloe, do you, uh, what do you think about this uh, topic, especially given your, your experience with uh, Deutsche Bank working with sanctions there? Is it more complex now than it used to be, or how has it evolved? It's definitely more complex. In terms of whether or not sanctions are a blunt tool, I think there was a period in time where, as Emil quite rightly referred to, there were comprehensive sanctions and it's fair to say that they were used in a very blunt way. There was then an initiative by governments to make them more targeted, make them smarter. I think it's a steep learning curve. There's still a huge amount of unintended consequences, collateral damage. But what we have seen are other tools within the foreign policy toolbox that assist governments in order to sharpen that position of imposing sanctions. So you've asked me specifically about Deutsche. I think I'm going to speak probably a little bit more generically about banks. But for any bank which had vast exposure to the Russian market, and not all banks did, the requirement to navigate your way through those sanctions in order to wind down your business, maintain some stability in the market, continue to operate in certain sectors, was the result of those sanctions not being blunt, was they were more targeted. Now, had we looked at Iran back in 2012, 2013, the sanctions were comprehensive. So everyone was shut out of the Iranian market. That was the objective. 
the point of sanctions today is to harm them more than the sanctions harm us. And that's kind of what we've seen in the context of Russia. And that's why we've got licenses, guidance, wind down opportunities. So they're not as blunt, but they're still quite a long way to go. And speaking generically, what is the worst true positive sanctions hit you've seen? Like the, you know, when you uncovered the big sanctioned individual in in the bank, or maybe you're not allowed to share, but it would be interesting to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could go on for a long time. I think some sanctions involving energy were perhaps some of the ones that you felt that you would rather have not been involved in. But, you know, I'd say those were ones where there were syndicated loans involved. So you weren't alone. You had friends in the same room. Uh, we'll continue the discussion over pizza afterwards. I'm interested to, to learn more. Uh, Simon, you have reported a lot on oligarchs, their money movements, and um, a lot of them have been sanctioned now after the invasion of Ukraine. Does it work or are big players like that always always finding a way to beat the system and uh, go into the black market, as we heard previously? Mm. I mean, it's interesting, as I said, my, my uh, experience in this field has come through uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and our focus on the uh, most recent level of sanctions. So that's what, what I can talk to. So I, I guess within that field, it's, it's a wonderful mixture of yes, no, and don't know. Um, so on, on the yes level, as Mills mentioned, you know, when you sanction someone, you are cutting them out of that system. So in that sense, you know, there, there's no one that's unsanctionable. We saw with Abramovich that uh, you know he was sanctioned he had to sell Chelsea he was able, unable to do to do business here now these these are people that have been um, you know fully integrated in the UK economy the extent to which that's changed their behavior or that they can't conduct any business globally or their access to the western world is completely gone well that's debatable and I guess the, the don't know aspect is well we're, we're still comparatively uh, you know pretty recent like this is all fairly unprecedented so we don't actually have much to go on in terms of enforcement hopefully i think there's been a lot of talk the buzzword of this year will be enforcement moving from implementation to well actually what are we going to do with all these new powers so it's kind of it remains to be seen so russia is now the most sanctioned country in the world have the sanctions had any impact i think it's difficult to talk about impact and, and what, what are we expecting sanctions to do here, right? Did we expect sanctions to overnight um, Russia would stop its invasion of Ukraine? Maybe a few did expect that, but I think that's a very wishful thinking. What we are seeing with sanctions is they are unprecedented. I think if you'd asked a lot of people in 2022, were we going to have the scale, the coordination uh, the scope, the extent of the sanctions that we have against Russia today, I don't think many people would have predicted that we would have been here where we are today. It, it is unprecedented, specifically for the EU, where it's often been tough to sanction Russia. We've got things like the oil price cap, really targeted measure where, again, it's actually designed to limit Russia's revenues from oil while still not disrupting the global oil market. We've got targeted sanctions specifically on the services that Russia usually obtains from the West, whether that's accounting services 
um, IT consulting, what else is covered, advertising, all of these things we've put in place in order to slowly sort of drain Russia's economy. And we're not going to see that change overnight. I think this is, this is going to be a longer sanctions regime, unfortunately. And sanctions are going to be one of the tools that will lead to the end of, hopefully, the end of this conflict, along with a bunch of other factors, such as deaths on the battlefield or public disinterest in Russia in the war or uh, diplomacy. Sanctions is going to be one of the tools that could help. It's not going to achieve change overnight. So, yeah. So we are here talking about sanctions. We read about it in the newspaper. There are new sanction packages coming out. Are we experiencing sanctions fatigue? What do you think, Chloe? I'm exhausted. <laughs> Uh, but I think there, there's a career in it, which is why I'm focused uh, on sanctions specifically. But there is sanctions fatigue. Of course there is. And we can see it because there are other hot points of conflict going on in the world. And we're seeing fewer and fewer sanctions being introduced. We have just had some fantastic, scarily innovative sanctions packages from the EU and the US um, focusing on evasion and enforcement. And they've come, if you're in the US, they come as kind of like, oh, well, there's nothing to worry about. However, if you're a European financial institution, you are really worried that the US authorities are going to come after you. So there are elements of innovative sanctions legislation out there but we will see from the 13th package which is going to come at a time of this third anniversary of the invasion that there will be very little in it it will be for presentational purposes i think more importantly though are those industries those uh, the, the multinationals the the corporates the financial institutions tired of implementing and i don't think that that's the case because the very clever threat of enforcement action serves as a powerful deterrent. And so it doesn't matter if there aren't new sanctions coming in 2024 against Russia, ratcheting up the pressure, there's still the threat of enforcement, which means you don't want your goods found on the battlefield in Ukraine. Therefore, you will be tightening your controls in enhancing your sanctions compliance program and seeking to comply with all those sanctions that are out there. Simon, do you have sanctions fatigue? If I take it from a media perspective and a sort of governmental PR perspective, I think there's a, a law of diminishing returns, right? And I think that's what you're kind of uh, alluding to that if you keep doing repeated uh, sanctions packages of new individuals which by and large most people haven't heard of on significant anniversary days like the third anniversary or three and a half years or whatever they're not going to get as much press they're not going to get as much activity and they're not going to get as much um, I guess effect from the the front from the front stop whether in implementation enforcement who knows it makes a can't get enough of the laundry? Not only are we giving you a weekly podcast dishing out insights and learnings on the biggest topics in AML and compliance, but now we have our very own newsletter. Fresh Laundry with me, Marit, is a place for hot takes, looks behind the scenes on the latest episodes and the best recommendations in news, articles, podcasts, and more. Find the link in the episode description. 
Let's clean up your inbox with some fresh laundry. All right, having heard the first half of the discussion, let's ask the audience if they think sanctions are working today. So we're going to play a little game. So if you think sanctions are working, please clap now. Okay, okay. And if you think they are not working, please clap now. All right, all right. So having heard from our panel and the audience, let's look at how this might evolve in 2024. So, Chloe, if we were ripping out the rule book and starting again tomorrow, what would you like the sanction space to look like? I'd like it to involve more multilateral sanctions. So, of course, that's a vision that in the context of Russia could never happen because Russia is a member of the Security Council. But if you think about sanctions which are imposed at a UN level, they are binding on the 193 member states. And that means there's less scope for evasion and diversion to third countries who are not following the sanctions regimes. I'd like to see better coordination and alignment across the sanctioning authorities and definitely more enforcement. And Simon, you have reported on oligarchs, and if you get the magic wand, how would you go about sanctioning them? Oh, it's the million dollar question, really. Um, but I, th I think it, it's the knowledge that simply putting a name on a list it isn't the end of the game. I think the, the classic example, which was reported initially by The Guardian, but it was in the oligarch files, and then subsequently in the project I worked on, Cyprus Confidential, was um, looking at Abramovich and how uh, he was managing his affairs. And what it found was in the weeks before his sanction designation, he shifted the uh, beneficiaries of his trusts to his children or uh, the ratios involved, so 51, 49, and that sort of thing. So it's knowledge that most of these oligarchs will have prepared for this eventuality, not necessarily from the Western government, for, but for the need to move their money and move it quickly. And so in that world, I think we need to be thinking about the networks in which they're operating and, and who else we should be sanctioning at the same time. And I think that means focusing on the enablers, those that are helping to facilitate the, the changes in their structures, um, which is what the UK government did in one of its sanctions packages. It looked at some of the Cypriot advisors that were helping certain oligarchs. And I think the other one is family members and how they're, they're being used essentially as nominee owners. Emil, have there been any innovations in the sanction space as of late? How do you see that evolve? Well, I think there's been innovation in, in a couple of ways in sanctions. And I guess it's interesting the the audience response, right? Are sanctions working? They're not working from the from the sort of public perspective. And I largely agree with that, that there is a lot more to be done around enforcement. And I think that's where some of the innovation is going to be in what sort of technology tools can we deploy to help boost enforcement so that we can maybe get more cases out there of not just sanctions being breached, but also sanctions working effectively, changing behaviors, um, reducing revenue of, of, of Russia or other regimes. I'm going to just go back a little bit on this, like are sanctions working? Because it's, it's interesting to me, because for me, there's a difference between the effect of sanctions and the effectiveness of sanctions. And sanctions are having an effect. Even if we don't think they're working, they're still having an effect. $300 billion of 
Russian state assets, central bank of Russia state assets are frozen in the EU at the moment. 20 billion uh, euros of individual oligarchs or assets are frozen in the EU, similar numbers in the UK. That's an effect of sanctions. The effectiveness of sanctions is sort of that comes a little bit later and I think it comes through enforcement. It comes through governments really investing. That's why I said consolidation in the beginning because I think we've spent a lot of years now deploying sanctions, putting them out there. Now is the time for enforcement. I think that's where we can make a lot of innovation and the private sector does need help in enforcement. It does need more intelligence from governments uh, in order to how to detect. And we've seen in 2023, we had red alerts coming out from the NCA. We've got guidances from OFAC and it's really helpful, but we need more of that if you expect the private sector to... So if, you, to, if to, you got the magic wand and, you know, san making yes. sanctions super, uh, the effectiveness really high, what would you implement of solutions to make that happen? Well, I think it's right now, it's, it's sort of like we're going two steps forwards, one step back. Um, if we were to design sanctions with enforcement at the heart of it, I feel like we are playing catch up in a lot of industries, particularly outside of the financial sector. There are industries that frankly didn't realize that they had to implement sanctions before Russia. And I think that's a problem because at the end of the day, those industries are clients of financial institutions. So I'm not trying to get financial institutions off the hook here because they're very much the center of all of this. They're the ones who move transactions around the world. But this is a whole system approach if we want this to work. And an enforcement-led approach, guidance from day one to all sectors that are covered by sanctions is how I would perhaps, if I had the magic wand to do that. Chloe, if, where do you think the power should lie in sanctioning? Is it the government, regulators, a new independent body? Should financial institutions come up with solutions themselves? It's an excellent question, not one that, that I'd, I'd thought about uh, before coming on the podcast, so I'm going to answer off the cuff. But I think from my experience over the past couple of years, and it really feeds into a lot of what Simon has said about the enablers piece, when you are on the front line implementing sanctions and you can see in front of your eyes evasion happening because well I say evasion happening it's not quite evasion because the problem that you face is that I was going back to the multilateral nature of sanctions being important and alignment being important is is if you see uh, the legal basis to freeze assets in one jurisdiction but there's nothing you can do about it because it's happening, the activity is happening in another jurisdiction. That becomes really problematic and it creates conflict and tension. And so what does that mean in terms of who should be coordinating this? I've seen over the last two years a real development in that public-private collaboration and it's become more and more important because the government can have a think about what might impact Russia most or what might impact another jurisdiction most that they're seeking to respond to with sanctions. But without the intel from the financial sector, without uh, intelligence from other sectors as well, piecing it all together is virtually impossible. So having a constructive dialogue where you can share intelligence information, you can trust each other so that if a bank comes and says to the government, listen, we know that these accounts are impacted, but there's nothing we can do because they're sitting outside a jurisdiction. Being in a position to be able to act on that quickly and receive that 
within you know a lawful way is how I think sanctioning authorities should uh, conduct their uh, designations and other types of uh, restrictive measures in the future and it's working together getting as much information as possible from the different sectors yeah I think uh, that would uh, that sounds like in uh, an ideal future so let's see if uh, we can get the government on and uh, have them make a promise Simon from your perspective on the reporting side of sanctions do you see sanctions impacting civilians more than the people and companies and industries that are actually being sanctioned? It's, it's a really hard one. Uh, as a, to, to go back in terms of being in such unprecedented territory with the Russian sanction regime, you know, previous sanction regimes by and large have been essentially cutting off people who are already quite on the fringes of the Western uh, financial system. The Russian individuals that we've sanctioned, the Russian government, is fully integrated. You know, these are people that own football clubs, who own houses, that send their kids to private schools in the UK. This is completely different ballpark of sanctions. So to kind of feed back into your question of how it's, how it's impacting, is I, it's, it's really difficult to know at the moment. I would say on certain things like sector-based sanctions, you know, around professional services, for example, and um, trade and imports, we're seeing a lot more, you know, flows through third countries. And that's obviously going to be a huge issue that we're going to have to be looking at in terms of how uh, trade routes are just merely shifting and then remaining the same otherwise, with the end result being the product ends up in Russia or vice versa. So to end out this discussion on how sanctions will evolve, we got to talk about AI. So Emil, maybe you want to start. How do you think AI will impact the sanctions space? Will it help banks and financial institutions become more effective? Or does it also give some benefit to the, the ones being sanctioned to evade? Yeah, I think... A lot of people don't realize that sanctions alerts are reviewed by people. Um, some banks have hundreds and hundreds of people sitting, literally just like looking at a document and comparing it to a name. Uh, is that a match or is it not a match? And I think that's perhaps where we could get AI to, to help sort of enable more auto uh, closing of alerts, reducing false positives, reducing that sort of huge backlog. And I think when Russia sanctions were at its highest in 2022, a lot of banks had suddenly backlogs of reviews that they couldn't get to because there were simply so many. So that's one opportunity. I think the question there is you need governance around that because we have strict liability on sanctions. So breaching sanctions and saying, sorry, I didn't know that I was going to breach sanctions is not a defense. You will still get in trouble and your governance around your AI, how do you monitor it, how much oversight do you have over it, the rules that you've inputted, allowing it, it to do, you need to have full control and oversight of that and you need to be able to explain to the regulator. So that's going to be a complex question if you want to deploy that kind of technology. I think where it could be really helpful is on, on things like the sort of proactive steps almost, um, risk assessing clients specifically against their sanctions exposure just the breadth of sanctions regulations that are in place right now it can get quite tricky to figure out sort of it, would this client have any exposure in this industry is this industry covered what about this exception and stuff like that i mean if there's a bot that can read through all the sanctions legislations and tell me the answer that would be great so maybe something like that it's a great question 
I was um, told by a partner yesterday that they used chat GPT to find a national security and sanctions lawyer in London and I came up. So AI is fantastic. But <laughs> um, on, a, on a more serious note, I think uh, everything that Emil said is relevant to the AI um, debate. It can be used to, in a very sophisticated way, if it's taught what it needs to learn so it can understand the things that we do. Now, of course, there's always going to be complex sanctions questions that need somebody that can exercise judgment as a human and unpack the issues and problem solve and find a pragmatic and strategic solution to the problem. But there's a huge amount below that that can be dealt with that removes the noise away that allows the space, the freedom, the resources to be plowed into the really tricky stuff. But no amount of asking the right questions will give you the right response unless the data is there. And this is the biggest issue. Our KYC people need to play catch up here. I'm not finger pointing, but if we don't have the data in a financial institution, it's going to be really difficult for AI to provide the perfect solution. But I think there's a great future out there for it and we should start using it. All right, so we are coming to the end of this podcast, but there is one more quick game that we're going to play with our panelists and the audience in the room. And it's leaning into our Valentine's theme. And it's called, they sanction me, they sanction me not. So I'm going to name a thing or a person or something. And the panel have to guess, has this ever been sanctioned? And the audience also feel free to shout, sanction me, sanction me not to help them. So, first one, has Elon Musk ever faced financial sanctions? Emil, you oh, want to try? Oh, that's me. Oh, right. Um, I thought we were going to do like a yes, no. Okay. Um, it definitely not in any of the countries whose sanctions regimes make the news. I'm going to answer it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so not in the US, not in the UK, not in the EU. Oh, that's actually a very good answer. And uh, the answer is no, he has not been sanctioned, but he was threatened by the EU over the suspension of critical journalists in December 2022. So sanction me not. Um, okay. So I got, that, I got that right then? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got it right. <laughs> okay, and also like audience, feel free to help out. The next one is for Chloe. And were ancient Greek traders ever sanctioned? <laughs> There's someone in the audience saying yes. I, I am actually inclined to say yes, but I'm not going to take credit for it because I wrote a retrospective on the evolution of sanctions. And I started in 1962 with the Cuban Missile, 1961 with the Cuban Missile Crisis and 62 first sanctions embargoes against South Africa. And I gave it to one of my nerdy boys in my team. And he's like, well, what about the Athenians? And they, they sanctioned their neighbors on some trade issue. And I said, all right, okay. So I do know the answer and you're right, it is a yes. Yes, you got that right. It, the first recorded use of sanctions was in 432 before Christ. So the Athenian empire banned traders from Megara from its marketplaces, thereby strangling the rival city state economy. Can I just add my nerdy boys are one of my multi-qualified, um, multilingual, cross-jurisdictional lawyers in my team, as opposed to one of my kids. 
<laughs> and final one for Simon. Have Russian dogs ever been sanctioned? It feels like a double bluff. <laughs> feels like you want me to say yes, because it's so ridiculous. But I'm gonna go no, no. It is right, no, but Russian cats were banned from international competition <laughs> by <good> the <laughs> FIFE after the invasion of Ukraine. So that Clearly brings that. this spin of the laundry to an end. Thanks to our panel. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, where can people find out more about you and connect with you? Emil. LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm, I think I'm searchable on LinkedIn, yeah, yeah. Fintrell.com. Is LinkedIn the place to go to find you too? Chloe? Absolutely, but I really pushed hard for Chloe Cena at MoFo. So there's no dot, nothing. It's just Chloe Cena at MoFo. But also ask ChatGPT. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, LinkedIn as well. Plus, uh, we're at the, the bureauinvestigates.com. I hope I got the right. Um, so you can get us there. Well, they can get us, but. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening and watching. And to the audience in London, please give yourself a round of applause. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to go check out the back catalog and follow The Laundry on your podcast platform of choice or subscribe to our YouTube channel. The Laundry is proudly produced by Strice, the AML automation cloud. If you're looking for an effective AML solution for your organization, visit strice.ai. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>